Right now on Tech Radio, more shock for TikTok. Hi, I'm Artemis. I am a computer-generated AI voice, and you're listening to Tech Radio. Every week online and on air with RTE Radio, we bring you the latest in tech. You're very welcome to episode 960. A little later on the show, we're chatting about how AI can create a more diverse workforce with Sandra Healy, who's the founder and CEO of Inclusio.io. We're also going to be looking at the news this week, a new look for Google, free Microsoft for Mac, and Bing get something that chat GPT doesn't. Personality. This is Tech Radio with Dusty Rhodes and Niall Kitson. I'm Dusty, our editor-in-chief at Tech Central. Niall Kitson is with us as well. Top story of the week, really, is TikTok. What's going on? Ah, well, I'm I'm not sure if it's, you know, wow, it's a top story of the week. More an incremental improvement on uh, what we were talking about last week because we know that TikTok is... Well, because it's owned by a Chinese company, it's owned by a company called ByteDance. Um, Of course, Chinese companies are under suspicion, let's put it plainly, in the US, Canada. I I think the word that goes around where if you're doing really well in China, it's because you're quite friendly with the government or, you know, you do what you're asked by the government or something like that. It's that kind of a, a thing. Uh, and I suppose it's that's something in business in every single country. If you are really successful, it means that you have ways of getting on with people, shall we say. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, ByteDance is a Chinese company, so they've, yes. they've always had the cloud of suspicion over them. Um, now, what has given them quite a bit of cachet is the fact that people love TikTok. Um, people use it all over the world. Mm. Um but it's also got quite a substantial um, uh, data center asset in Europe in that there is one in Norway and there's two in Ireland and they cost about $1.2 billion a year to, uh, to run. So joining the dots then, we have a whole ton of data in the EU, which is connected by one person, Bike Dance, uh, directly to the Chinese government. That's the fear. That's that's the fear. That is the theory. And that is why uh, the public sector in the US and Canada is uh, trying to get rid of TikTok from mm. smart devices that are, you know, government owned, basically. But TikTok are kind of trying to reassure governments around the world, including, including the EU. Yeah, they are. And this is this is the latest thing. Um, ByteDance have come out and said, well, Hang on. I mean, this is your this is your concern, but the Chinese government have never asked us for any data. Uh, if they did, we'd say no, uh, because we want to stay uh, compliant, uh, especially for something like GDPR. Um, yeah. So they have said they will now introduce pseudo nominization of personal data. So you can up- upload whatever you want as normal, yeah. but. If China was to go, let's have a look at all your data, they would not see that Dusty uploaded video X en masse. I mean, they could go in and, you know, find your account or whatever. Mm. But uh, in terms of, you know, the massive data pool that they have, um, TikTok has said they are going to basically, you know, make sure that that is not possible. Of course, all of this has been kicked off by the spy balloon that uh, yeah. that was found in the States a couple of weeks ago. 
uh, had been circling, doing God knows what, and uh, before being shot down over uh, uh, over waters. So you know it, it would be disposed of in a in a in a safe manner. Do you know? I mean that that that's crazy. Imagine like having a, a company with a couple of apps on your phone. And you gave all of your data to them uh, that they held on data servers all over the country. And then, you know, kind of say they were American based or whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, I, let's not talk about Google. Uh, in fact, actually, yes, let's talk about Google um, because they have uh, done a little bit of uh, cleaning, if you like, or upgrading with their uh, the Workspace app. You're, you you use Workspace, don't you? Uh, I do. Um, and, and so do you. And we hmm. all quite like it. It's yeah. um, it's got a very clean interface. Yeah. They were there with um, collaboration, making it popular before you know anyone else. Um, regardless of whether it was there already, they certainly made it cool. Mm. Um, and they're adding a few new bells and whistles to uh, Google Workspace that I actually quite like. Uh, a couple of them, one of them anyway, is particularly useful, and one is just trying to be down with the kids and I don't I don't know if that's going to work at all. <laughs> I think so, I know which is which so going the useful one I'm going to guess, right? Yeah. Uh, is that on the on the interface with the, their spreadsheet and with their word document and stuff like that they've got the edit and the version history kind of all under the one thing. So if you want to either go back a couple of versions of the document or if you just want to make an edit to the current one it's all in the same place. It's happened to us all. We've gone and made a change or something has happened and whatever and we're like oh god that's that's wrong gotta go back uh and they've just made that uh, a lot easier so that's great the one getting down with the kids that you don't like okay um they are adding emoji reactions to google doc notes i think that's great why why do you think that's great you can you can a picture tells a thousand words all right so literally just a thumbs up from somebody beside something great done Mm, okay Mm. What what about like, you know, clasped hands like namaste? Whatever it happens to be, the emojis are just, it's just part of communication these days. It's very open-minded of you. Another feature (laughs) that I like and something, (laughs) yeah, moving swiftly along. Uh, Another feature that they're bringing in that I really like is you will be able to bulk select um, items based on their file extension and move them somewhere else, right? So if you want to find all the PDFs that you have in your Google Drive, maybe you've got a load of contracts and they're all saved as PDFs. You can just, you can just you know, search by type. You can just go yeah. PDF, boom, all your PDFs are there. You can organize them whatever way you want. Similarly with, you know, Google Docs or videos or zip files or anything like that. Uh, and if we'll also tell you who the owner of the file is and when it was last modified as well. Mm. Because on Google Drive, we've got a lot of stuff that we own. We've got a lot of stuff that's shared with us. Uh, and it's it's nice to know the, it's nice to know the difference and be able to file them uh, as appropriate. So that's another feature that I really like. So that's kind of... Three things Google is doing with Google, Google Workspace that are yeah. actually, well, two of them are pretty positive. And they will all be on your computer before the end of March by the very latest. They're rolling it out right now. The other two stories then are not to do with Google, but with Microsoft. We'll get to Bing and what they've done with that in a moment. Uh, but first, Outlook is now going to be free for the Macintosh. As a Mac user and lover, what do you think? Uh I think this is a great move on the part of Microsoft because what they will be adding to the mix is continuity. 
Uh, if you want to manage your mail through um, iOS using Microsoft Outlook, that's fine. Open it up on your desktop. There you go. There's what you've been working on. Um, and that has been Microsoft's dream for a long time, is to make sure that its products are accessible across devices, but to have that continuity between them. Uh, mm. And if if they've managed that with um, uh, Outlook for Mac, uh, brilliant. They, they've, they've cracked it. It's interesting that they are using their email program and putting that out for free. Why? Well, I just think, well, why didn't they put Word out for free? Or why didn't they put Excel out for free? Well, why, why I, the can, email I can use Word for free on my iPad, but mm-hmm. yeah. not on my iPhone, because they look at the screen size and go, we could charge for ah, that. Yeah. <laughs> ah, interesting. Okay, I didn't know that. Uh, whereas yeah. it, 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 one of the things I now that I like about Google is you can use uh, Google uh, Docs on your phone if you have to. Yeah. Yeah, where I've which had is, to once, once or twice, or keep or something like that. Uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, th- so that's Microsoft. Fair, fair play. Round of applause. Uh, Outlook free for all users on Mac, and then also with Microsoft this week, uh, they're giving Bing something that ChatGPT doesn't really have, or something that they don't uh, sell. They're giving it personality. All right, so they're bringing in this option where mm-hmm. you can have. Uh, would you like Bing to be more? Uh, kind of, I can't remember the exact words that they, they they said, but the gist of it is more fun. All right, right. Or would you like Bing to just give you short facts, mm. <laughs> as in like you know, just give me the information or have a bit of crack? And then there's a third setting where it's kind of in, in, in between the two. And I was kind of wondering. I think personality is actually possibly a big part of these AI chats because when you're chatting to somebody. It's the personality that, that that does it. And I'll do this with ChatGPT every now and again. At the end, I'll just go, I don't know why I do it. I feel stupid every time I do it. When I'm finished <laughs> with it, what do I do? I say thank you do to you? a computer program. Do you know what I mean? This this is one step lower than thanking the bus driver. Oh, I was right? just thinking that this is this is such an Irish thing. This is like clapping when <laughs> when an airplane lands. <laughs> Which I love. I love that we do that. I, I do like that. Um, so kind of like, you know, uh, yeah, having that little interoperability. And uh, I know that, you know, kind of Alexa is not, uh, can be a bit uh, with it. Uh, ChatGPT is much better if, if you say thank you or have a nice day or something like that. Or at the end of a query, it'll go like, you know, great. I hope you have a great weekend and such and such, blah, blah, blah. It tries that little thing. Um, and then I was wondering... Why are Microsoft asking, do you want Bing to be a little bit more fun or do you just want the short facts? Surely an artificial intelligence should be intelligent enough to learn your personality and what it is that you like from your interactions with the AI. No, you know what that is? What? Girlfriend. Uh, (laughs) Do you want ChatGPT to be your girlfriend? (laughs) That is not what I meant. I am not going there. <laughs> no way. All right. But then I kind of thought, you know, kind of, should an AI not learn from from you? Okay, which sounds like a reasonable uh, thing to ask. But then I thought, do you really want an AI to be learning all about you? you. I mean, it's bad enough. Google knows what Google knows. <laughs> let's, let's keep it profesh here. 
I know. I keep thinking of that story now. It's, it's just it's happened to a friend of mine. Um, it, it just they were all Apple, you know, the way you can share everything on Apple, which is mm-hmm. fantastic. Mm-hmm. And he was taking pictures of his girlfriend mm-hmm. and it came up on his wife's iPad. Ooh. Exactly. <laughs> Ooh. Exactly. <laughs> so it's uh, it's like, you know, yeah, right. How much do you really want to share with TikTok? I mean, Google. I mean, Apple. I mean, any of them. Yeah. <laughs> there you yeah. go. Listen, that's the news for this week. Nah, thank you, as always. Remember, you can get the latest Irish tech news with hourly updates, daily newsletters, and more at our website, techcentral.ie. Diversity is a strength in the modern workplace, but too often companies can get it wrong either through bias or bad management. Sandra Healy is co-founder of Inclusio.io, and she spoke with Niall Kitson about how her company is using AI to create a more representative place to work. Sandra, the way the conversation seems to be around diversity and inclusion strategies is that it it sort of has a legacy in American corporate culture. Uh, Is that accurate? Is this a case of looking for an international solution to a primarily American problem? Or is it something that is pretty much everywhere, just we don't have the vocabulary to talk about it? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I I would say that uh, I think... The, certainly in the early days, uh, there would have been a very big focus on it in the US. Um, and I suppose over the last 10 years or so, it's become a business imperative for every company in the world. Uh, I think certainly what drives it is a focus on uh, being representative of the customers and the communities that you serve. Uh, and I think that that's largely been driven by employees and the changing demographics of the workforce where when they go into the workforce, they expect uh, their workplaces to be as um, diverse uh, and inclusive as uh, as how things are for them outside the workplace. So I suppose maybe it, it's fair to say that, it you know, the priority did start in tech, um, but certainly what I see now, it's an absolute business imperative for every company. And Ireland, I suppose, we're no different here. We're quite a young multicultural society in Ireland. It's really only in the last 30 years that we've had uh, people from different parts of the world come to Ireland and, and settle and, and, uh, and bring up their families here. And that was largely driven by the tech, uh, tech companies, the influx of them into Ireland as well. So, um, and to your point around the language, uh, that is certainly something that we have a challenge and an opportunity, I would say, here in Ireland in that we don't have the language of how we describe race and ethnicity in, uh, in Ireland. So there's an opportunity for us to engage in dialogue, I think, around that and, and agree terms that are inclusive of the new society that is uh, Ireland today. And indeed, that is part of your, your mission statement there to, to speak to the old adage that you can't be what you can't see. Uh, you also, you can't manage what you can't measure. Now, Inclusio as a company sounds like you've got quite the challenge ahead of you because you've, eff- you've effectively got something involved in soft science or organizational psychology, if you will, looking for, you know, a hard subject or an easily measurable uh, outcome for it. So how did you approach that problem? 
Yeah, I don't know if I'd call it soft science. Uh, <laughs> um, like it uses the scientific method. So, you know, psychology uses the scientific method, I suppose. What's different around what we're doing uh, and what organizational psychology does is is looking at predominantly human behavior and in particular humans in work uh, and in particular how do humans interact with each other in work. And, and that's effectively where company culture comes into it. Uh, if I think about the, you know, the where did the idea for Inclusio came from? Like it's inherently difficult to measure culture in work uh, and mainly because it is made up of individual humans. And uh, and when we describe culture, we can describe it as the way we do things around here, you know. So sometimes I would say uh, culture can be described as, you know, the space between things, right? It doesn't, it doesn't exist on its own. Um, but it is that behavior and that interaction be between the humans, whether it be in the team or the organization as a whole. And that is inherently difficult to measure. Uh, but it can be measured through science and through scientific frameworks. Uh, and that's exactly what we've done with Inclusio. So part of that four years of research and development in the university, it was identifying what are the components of an inclusive culture uh, and how can we scientifically measure them in a way that is valid, is scientific, and uh, can create benchmarks for organizations to be able to chart um, their progress uh, and chart their progress against others in their sector and on a global scale as well. So that's what we set out to do with this, building the science into the platform. And of course, when we're when we're we use the the word platform, we immediately think of data because a a platform is only going to be as good as the data that it's that uh, it's working with. So, what kind of data sources were you working with? I mean, one imagines that you know self reporting would have an awful lot to do with this. Yeah, it's all self report, um, Niall. So that's the key thing. So when before we did any wrote one line of code for the platform, we did a deep dive analysis with over 35 organizations because we wanted to get a sense of what's the problem we're trying to solve. And when we spoke to the leaders in the organizations, you know, they they said to us, one of the biggest challenges we have is we don't know who we have in the organization from a diversity perspective. So it's very difficult for us to be able to uh, you know, re-engineer our hiring efforts or be more focused in our hiring efforts. We want to be reflective of the societies and the customers we serve, but we don't know who we have. Um, and then when we spoke to the individuals in the organizations of the employees, they said, we do not like disclosing personal things about ourselves and having that attached to our records. So we set out um, to build a platform that would solve both of those problems, both for the employer and the employee. So essentially, Inclusio, it's, it's third party, sits outside the organization and it allows people to self-identify and to safely and securely build their diversity profile. And I think we have one of the deepest demographic profiles that exists on a platform in the world. It collects protected characteristic data, for example, around things like uh, gender identity, sexuality, living arrangements and uh, neurodiversity, disability, experience around accommodations and many, many other uh, points and, and aspects of difference around people in work. 
I think that's interesting how wide the, the net is being cast these days because we're used to the conversation in Ireland being around uh, gender diversity and the issues of women in the workforce and particularly in the tech sector. Um, is that appetite really growing for to look at issues such as neurodiversity, for example, and creating more uh, welcoming or easier to work with environments. Is this something that you're finding is becoming increasingly relevant or are we dealing with, uh, you know, gender being the primary uh, issue and then you have all these other things bubbling away in the background? You know, how much are we learning here? Yeah, I think what we find is that the biggest challenge every organization that has started out on this journey is how do we get beyond gender? Because we have the information around gender, you know, because that's a question that we ask and, and in the general norm is captured in our systems. But the biggest challenge then organizations have where they have, you know, they want to display that they have real intent and authenticity around uh, diversity and, and building an inclusive culture and being representative of societies and, and communities. But how do you do that? How do you shift your thinking? You know, so you, a lot of leadership teams are saying, okay, we've done a lot of work. You know, we've been focused on gender equality and gender equity over the last five, seven years. Now what? How do we shift beyond that? And without the data, it's very, very difficult to shift beyond it. And like to give you an example. So if I'm a people manager, for example, and I could have, you know, seven, eight people in my team. And I could have a couple of people, for example, that have different caring responsibilities. I might have somebody who's dealing with some uh, mental health challenges. I might have somebody, a couple of people who um, are neurodiverse. Uh, I might have a couple of people who have a disability, whether that be seen or, or, or uh, visible or invisible. So there's all of those complexities of every single one of us. We're all individually different. Um, and it becomes more and more complex to manage that. And, and, and as a people manager, what's the objective, right? The objective is you want to get the best out of your people. You want to create an environment where they can be productive, where they can, you know, deliver on what's expected of the organization. But you also want to create an environment where they're fulfilled and, and you're creating an environment where they're getting the best out of themselves as well. You have to understand and know your people to do that. And sort of the, the engine that underpins all this, of course, is a, an artificial intelligence that you've been working with. I think it's very interesting that uh, unlike so many AIs out there, which seem to rely on this constant flow of data, um, oftentimes not even anonymized data, your approach is very different. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I think um, like we describe our uh, AI engine as an ethical AI. And, and that was a very conscious decision we made right at the very beginning is that, you know, we weren't just going to plug in a whole load of um, decision making uh, uh, trees, if you like, within, within, the, uh, within the platform that we would work outside the platform and learn as we go, as we work with clients in, in, the, in the field. So that's what we've done. So over the last two years, uh, we have worked outside the AI and, and as we learn and capture insights from uh, the working in the market and working with customers, we plug them back in to the platform. So, uh, and, and the platform, you, uh, you're asking there about the learning of the platform, it learns from the individuals. So, so to give you an example of that, 
uh, you some of the the content that people would engage with in the platform. So we have nudge uh, learning in the platform. And people can make recommendations, for example, for others in their team to get access to that content. And the AI engine will drive that. So it'll prioritize and drive um, learning for people in teams and things like that. So it's a slow way of the AI learning, but it's a, it becomes an ethical AI then because it's it learns from the people who input their data rather than us uh, making assumptions about people. And have you found that to be a, um, sort of a challenge when working with companies where you have to explain that, look, it's not going to be as fast as you might expect or, you know, your vision of AI might be chat GPT. This is actually something very different. You know, uh, are you finding companies signing up to this comparatively long term project? Yeah, well, I, you, you know, the thing about it is you're not going to fix your culture in a year. And I, and I think. Um, any organization that you speak to knows that. Like we, that's not something that we have to discuss with them. They know you're not going to fix your culture in a year. Um, I don't think the speed, like it, it does learn about the organization itself, right? So our analytics dashboards, for example, um, it will create a baseline. So it shows where you are today. It'll help you make decisions around where you need to focus your efforts and where you need to prioritize. And then it tracks that change over time for you. So it's not like the chat, um, the the you know the other AIs that are out there that are making assumptions over lots of big data. It's it's bringing you back actually what's happening in your own organization. So it's the voices of the people in your organization. It's it's giving you insights around a scientific framework around their actual lived experience in work. Uh, it allows you to make decisions as an organization around okay, where do I need to focus my efforts. And then it helps you track that change over time. So it's actually more insightful than what you would get from another AI because it's your own, it's the voices of your people that are actually driving um, the progress and letting you know that the work that you're doing on the ground is actually having the right impact and the right effect. This opens up a really interesting uh, space for uh, a, a degree of meta-analysis of the information you're getting from certain companies, because I imagine, you know, in certain sectors there, there's quite a bit of overlap in the problems they're facing. Have you noticed, uh, or are you gathering information even that you would be able to put together sort of a playbook or go, okay, this is what a toxic organization in this sector roughly looks like. Uh, and here is where you are now. Um, is there any kind of scope for that kind of meta-analysis or is the way that you're set up just not interested in that? Yeah, I think um, what, what you're describing there, and it's, it's less about toxic workforces, which is a very big, that's a broad head that can multi-factor, right? So one of the things that we're doing, uh, we've brought the insurance sector together, for example, to create sector benchmarks. Um, And like, so we would have global benchmarks in the platform, but really where benchmarking becomes really meaningful is when it's sector-based. So we have a five-point model of inclusion. So things like psychological safety, trust, well-being, and, and others. And what we help the sector do is take a sector-led approach to um, advancing equality, diversity, and inclusion in the organization. So say, for example, you have a company that shows, um, again, from the voices of their people, it shows that uh, they are, say, 
you know, a 68, say, for example, is the score they might get in uh, psychological safety. And the, the sector benchmark could be 70. So it gives that organization an indication of, okay, I'm behind in psychological safety. And then they need to start to put a plan together then around, for, what do I need to do to address that and get it to, uh, to at, at the very least, get it to the sector benchmark or beyond that. So we've brought together, we have an, an, an advisory board of founding members in Ireland uh, where we've, we've brought together for the sector to start to uh, take that sector-led approach to creating those benchmarks. And they're global benchmarks. So we have uh, UK insurance companies on board and we're starting to bring on now uh, insurance companies in other parts of the globe. And that's the first of its kind. We're working with um, CIRDAS, the Centre for Insurance Risk and Data Analytics in um, the Southeast Technology University to develop a certification model around that as well. So that's groundbreaking. That kind of thing doesn't exist uh, anywhere else. Uh, and to have the sector come together to share, you know, their own practices and and to help each other. You know, for me, like that's phenomenal, right? When they, you have a whole sector coming together, leave the competition outside the door uh, and they come in to get their head down and focus on how can we build inclusive cultures? How could we, rep be, we be representative of the communities and the customers that we serve? Uh, and we're delighted that we're able to work uh, with, with those uh, companies here in Ireland. There's also the ongoing academic effort behind Inclusio as well. If you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so, so we spent four years. So I spun the idea into Dublin City University. So we spent four years in research and development uh, in the university. And that was working with academics and uh, not just from DCU, also from Ulster University, from Stanford, Arizona State and many, many other uh, universities that we worked with in testing and developing the science in the platform. Uh, and we still do that now. So we have uh, projects that we work with on Stanford in particular, looking at neurodiversity. Um, we have projects that we're working with Ulster University as well. Um, so that's something that's really important to us, you know, is that the credibility that we're able to stand over the credibility of the science in the platform. Um, and uh, for us working with academic partners, it's really, really important. I, like for me, what I would like, and, and we're starting to move in that direction now, is that when we have the critical mass of voices of people in work, that we're able to publish on the back of that. And the public academic publications that come out of the insights that we gather will advance the world of research er around people in work. And that's what we want. You know, if, if we find something that can help other people and make their lives easier in another sector or another part of the world or another workforce, that's what we want. And, and for us, you know, we're a social impact business. Uh, that's what it's about for us is that we have that opportunity to uh, um, advance uh, the world of work and make it better for, for everybody. And that was Sandra Healy, co-founder of Inclusio.io. And you can find out more about the company and Sandra at their website, which is Inclusio.io. I will have that in the show notes for you as well. This is Tech Radio. That's it for our show for this week. We do have uh, more stories that we didn't have time for on the podcast, including the annual Data Protection Commissioner's report, dishing the dirt on Facebook. Salesforce is getting to work with generative AI and the EU's big plan to regulate the cloud. All of those stories for you on our website at techcentral.ie. 
here in Podcast World. We're back next Friday on RT Radio 1 Extra, or you can get new episodes automatically by clicking follow on your podcast player right now. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Niall Kitson, thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Tech Radio is produced by DustPod.io. From me, Artemis, goodbye. Goodbye.